It's Monday the 11th of April 2022. My name's Alex Elliott and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this week, why it happened and why we should care. My guest this week is the journalist and presenter Ingolver Bjarni Sigfusson. Welcome to you. Thank you. Um, now, this week, in what I think anybody would agree was a pretty bad week for the government, the infrastructure minister and leader of the Progressive Party was mired in a racism controversy. And the finance minister and leader of the Independence Party was mired in what the opposition would like to frame as a scandal surrounding the latest sell-off of state-owned shares in Eastlandsbanki. The Justice Minister's Immigration Bill, he says aimed at streamlining the system for applicants for international protection, also proved controversial, with opponents saying it removes rights from applicants rather than granting them more. It was the wettest March on record, at least in the southwest, and indeed the fourth wettest month overall, regardless of time of year. And in positive news, one in three people in Iceland have made active contributions to support the victims of war in Ukraine. And, for many of us at least, it's a three-day week at work or at school, followed by a five-day weekend. Thanks, of course, to Easter. Uh, So, where would you like to begin? Uh, Well, I mean, traditionally we would be speaking about the weather this time of year, wouldn't we, Alex? Any time of year. Well, that's true, (laughs) but, you know, this is the time of year when Icelanders start to to, to say it's, it feels like springtime and they're not just lying to themselves as they are in March and February. Yeah. Uh, we have the probably the traditional Pascared. How would you translate that into English? Springtime cold snap, maybe? Yeah. Uh, uh, Easter, Easter, Easter cold, cold snap. snap. Yeah. Yeah. We usually get a bout of crappy weather around Easter time and after that, it might actually start looking like this was a more or less hospitable place. Yeah. So, you know, apart from that, the scandals are, of course, what's been interesting in the last week. Um, it seems the uh, the various ministers are sort of competing with each other about uh, bad press and reactions to bad press. It's all come at the same time, certainly. Yes, it's, well, uh, you know, sometimes it's, you know, dump all the bad stuff at the same time and just, uh, you know, one, one, use one to uh, distract from the other. Well, I mean, the racism thing was very interesting because uh, the uproar when you consider some of the other stuff, was was considerable. When you consider the other headlines of the week, uh, we still don't know, or at least I don't know, exactly which word the minister supposedly used. Um, um, but it was clearly something that uh, sensible, civilized people would avoid and not be caught using. Can you quickly um, maybe set the scene for anyone that hasn't been so following this was the story? A, yeah, this was apparently some sort of gathering or party following the uh, the Congress of the Farmers Union uh, and various people in some sort of position regarding that were uh, got, had gotten together and they wanted to do a group photo of a few people uh, in sort of a funny way where they would uh, pick one up and sort of hold lying on their arms. And apparently the minister was one of the people, one of the four or five people in this picture. He didn't want to join in or was somehow reluctant um, and apparently referred to the woman who was supposed to be sort of lying on everyone else's uh, arm in racial terms. She is of, I believe, maybe South Asian origin or something of the sort. Um and uh, understandably was upset at being referred to by uh, whatever word it was, a vague reference to her skin colour. Um, the minister has apologised, said he regretted his wording, and 
people around him reiterate that he's by no means racist. Um, uh, I, I don't know the man enough to know if that's true or not. Um, I don't think he's ever been caught being out, uh, sort of racist in that way before. But it's sort of this question of, you know, well, you know, what, what are you allowed to do? I mean, we're all assholes. Every once in a while, we say something we shouldn't have done. We react in a dumb way. We, you know, had a bad week or day or year. Mm. Um, um, to which extent do we have to show forgiveness, compassion, understanding for people just having a bad day and uh, having a, a, you know, verbal faux pas? And to which extent do we say, actually, your verbal faux pas was just racism and it's never going to be okay and there's nothing you can do about it and you must leave, as is the demand by some people. I mean, a a joke that goes wrong Mm -hmm. is one thing, and we don't know the context, of course, Um, but very often, you know, things slip and it is perhaps what they really think, and that's a big difference. It's true, and that's true, and I think that's sort of the allegation is that this is where your true self comes out. Um. And that, it was a social event, wasn't it? It was a social event. He said it'd been sort of a you know tough, rough day, and he was sort of just tired and irritated. Um, I'm sure we've all said uh, or reacted in a dumb way under circumstances we could describe that way. Does it make it okay? Does it explain it away? Well, um, I guess we'll see. I'd be very surprised if he pays a political price for this. Um, At least in the short term. I mean, in, it, in the short term, and and you know. Uh, a week is a long time in politics, isn't that what they always say? Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have any elections coming up or anything of the sort. Uh, well, we do have elections, but not one one where he is in standing. So we'll see. Um, the feeling is that there is perhaps stuff brewing within his party, um, sort of a, a, a where there might be people sort of vying for power within the party that might use this uh, to to sort of or point this out to damage his standing or position. We'll see that in in, uh, in the next few months, I suppose. But mm-hmm. th- th- there certainly seems like there's uh, stuff going on in the party also. Yeah. Um, the damage from this, potential damage, is, is perhaps greatest because, if I can paint with a broad brush for a minute, um, the progressive party that he leads has got a certain history. There's a lot of people that in the past perhaps wouldn't ever consider voting for them that have done now. They, mm-hmm. they had great appeal to to the centre of the political spectrum. Mm-hmm. And this really is a blow to that movement that they've built in, in the last few years. Yeah, it, I mean, the centre party is a, a an interesting party. Progressive many, party. Progressive, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. progressive party mm-hmm. is a, an interesting... Um, yes, that's true. Used to, let's not confuse them. Uh, I mean, this is the traditional decades-old Farmers' Party of Iceland. Uh, of course, farmers being a... a, a group that was of uh, a fairly large group within society decades ago and, and considerably smaller by now. Um, and they've sort of, for the last 20 years that I've been in this business, or just over 20 years, they've sort of been like a yo-yo between being this sort of old style, goody guy, countryside farmers party, and this not quite progressive, but in, in, sort of in the smack middle of a uh, of the political landscape, uh, kingmaker party, and also in some ways liberal or progressive, as their name would indicate. 
sometimes going in a little bit in the direction of being a environmental party or even a social democratic party. And and so it feels like they're torn in different directions. Mm-hmm. Uh, this kind of phrasing definitely damages the part that is sort of this progressive social democratic part of the wing or wing of the party. Mm. And on a slightly different angle, um, I suppose we could say it's positive that the farmers union, perhaps you could say of all the unions, had a woman of colour leading them, has a woman of colour leading them, and that many of us in the country didn't know that. And That's true. So I mean, normal. it's yeah. I mean, you know, her name is Viti Sesler. Uh, people have heard of her, you know, in, in, in news stories. Um, but you know, her, her. I don't think her raises ever come up, nor should it have. I mean, it's not like it really pl- uh, p- plays a role. Mm. But it probably is uh, indicative of the changes in Icelandic society over the last, well, really only over the last twenty years, where we, on one hand, have. Uh, uh, an exploding number of immigrants from all over the place, but also a uh, uh, we just have different skin colors during my childhood. That you know, granted, almost fifty years ago, uh, I'm not even sure when I was a small kid. I knew there were other colors. Everyone was just snow white in the snow. Now we have people who have moved here. Uh, we have you know kids that were adopted mixed marriages, whatever, and uh, it changes society, but it also changes um, how, I think it's, uh, I, interestingly enough, I don't think it's ever, where it's never been my sort of, I've never seen it as a challenge to, I've never seen anyone experience it as a challenge, but maybe this indicates that to some it is, who knows. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you'd assume it must be to some. Um, well, yes, but it's never been, I mean, it's, ne- it's at least sort of publicly. I mean, we've had these nationalistic parties that have come and floundered and never gotten anywhere. So it's never really felt like people felt threatened because there was somebody who had a different god or a different skin color or whatever. Mm. And conversations like this one sort of do pushed the agenda a little bit as well. I mean, there's a very unfortunate event that took place and Vigdis Hessler has magnanimously, she's accepted his apology and mm-hmm. she says she's putting the putting the whole matter down and moving on, which is, is big of her. Um, but the conversation around it, that could have some positive outcomes for the future. Yeah, if you're looking for a silver lining, I mean, it, 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 it yes, uh, certainly. I mean, it, it, it brings the... A discussion of race, which isn't really a discussion in either the, polit- uh, the the positive or the negative sense in Iceland, it brings it to the forefront and and makes us uh, scratch our heads, scratch our heads a little bit, sort of collectively, and wonder if we're perhaps um, n- not as unracist as we thought we were. Mm. So, from one unexpected and unfortunate scandal, if you want to put it that way, or at least um, discussion, to one that was very well planned and publicised ahead of time and turned out, let's say, not as the government would have hoped, um, the sale of Eastlands Bonke shares. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bjartny Benedictson, the finance minister, would not describe it as a scandal. Um, the opposition would. What, what's and the, even what's some the story? Of his, and even some of the ministers talking about the, the, the progressive party, there is a minister yeah. of of business and culture, I believe, is the latest portfolio who has been very critical of, of how this was all done and uh, 
which is an interesting twist that you have a minister responsible for part of the portfolio who is and who was briefed in and 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 part of the people sort of commenting how to prepare this and is criticizing how this was all done. So this is uh, you know Islands Banki became basically a state bank as many companies and financial institutions went uh, became after the financial crash. Mm-hmm. Uh, the government has been slowly but securely privatizing parts of Islands Banki. Um, a part of it was done last summer. That that process was criticized. Um, and none of this is under the table. This is all very well publicized, oh, yeah, and yeah. they're saying this oh, is yeah. our plan. We're going to do this, right? And yeah. and it's done by uh, basically a co- government-owned company called Bankasisla, which is a, basically an institution or a company set up to manage the old assets and 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 the banks, and they are privatizing this in a in a in a manner that was discussed in Parliament. That was uh, you know various uh, committees of Parliament were briefed, and then the whole process takes place. And everything explodes. Uh, parliamentarians say, "Well, either they, their briefing, the way what they told us, was a lie, or they were just uh, unbelievably bad and explaining to us how this was supposed to go about." So apparently, you know, the the, the political understanding broadly seems to have been that strong, sort of major serious long-time investors were supposed to be lured to investing in the bank and that way they would get a rebate. So the general public wouldn't be allowed to bid, not anyone could take part, but it would be strong institutional investors. Uh, in the end, it, the list of investors when it was the people who weren't invited certainly didn't include people, uh, only people or institutions that you would call an, uh, institutional investors. You know, we, we had people investing for one million krona, uh, you know, that's only several thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. People who weren't really ser- serious investors or even investors at all and why they were on a list. Also, which infuriates people, were a number of people who were, of course, major players in the economic crisis of 2008. People who, rightfully or wrongfully, are per- perceived by many as being tainted Um the some fa- of them connected to Glitnir. Yeah, absolutely. Was, some of the, I mean, yeah. some of these people who have been investigated, and and uh, yes, um, and it's still a little, uh, let's say, unclear how people were put on these lists. Certainly, you know, private companies who who, who deal with investors say they wouldn't characterize quite a lot of these investors on the list as serious institutional professional and investors. Um, and there's just a, and I mean, it seems that quite a few people uh, sold the stock that they got within 24 or 38 hours, 48 hours, and and made a decent uh, profit because, uh, well, they got a rebate. So basically, they the government, that's what it looks like, basically handed out money to people who nobody can explain why they were chosen as investors when they clearly weren't. So there's a lot of questions that remain open to add sort of on top of this. Uh, the Bjarne Benediktsson father, the finance minister's father, is among the people who invested in the bank, uh, much to the minister's surprise, who says he had actually had a discussion with his father asking him and asking his closest family not to invest. Well, apparently his father uh, decided that uh, he would do so anyway. So there's a lot of... I mean, this, this fuels anger in society, but it adds to the growing feeling that corruption is a problem in Iceland that needs to be dealt with. 
at the same time, in many ways, we've been dealing with it since 2008. We've switched out large parts of the political elites. We had new parties come and go, new institutions set up. And still, you know, 12, 13 years after the crash, the the privatization of this part of Eastland Spanky feels uh, remarkably like the, the privatization of the bank in the early 2000s, which, um, as those who are familiar with Icelandic economic history, were not, did not want go well. Mm. And there was an actual protest outside uh, Parliament this weekend yep. on that very topic. And uh, you can see why, because it's, it's not a topic... People have sort of righteous feelings. They want things to be fair and above board. But at the same time, people are very much aware that if this goes wrong and if things happen like they did in the early 2000s, it could literally hurt everybody again. Yeah, I think people so are... it's important. Uh, people are understandably scarred by what happened here in the early 2000s and, and came crashing in 2008. Uh, you know, granted, these banks at least currently, are nowhere close to the size that they were in the uh, during the years of the crash. And, and even if they were to crash, the economic impact wouldn't be quite as significant. But it's about the principle. You know, are we, have we matured enough? Are we honest and uh, free of corruption to the extent that we feel that we can actually do this in a transparent, honest way? Um given the fact that even ministers within the government are saying we failed it's very hard to say that this isn't a, uh, this isn't a, a, a you know an f minus hmm. uh, the question is what do you do um, the rikis uh, which is the sort of the government agency basically tasked with auditing the government has been asked to look into the process uh, there are parliamentarian, parliamentarians, even some from the governing coalition, that are demanding a um, public investigation, which so far has been nixed by the government majority. But it remains to be seen. I mean, we do see uh, information trickle out in or and analysis in various media that sort of mm, none of it is good. Mm. It all tells you that this just went horribly wrong, and there needs to be an explanation and accountability. Bankaslisa Rikisins, or the uh, Icelandic State Financial Investments, as it's called in English, um, how independent are they? Who are they? Well, it's this organization that was set up following the banking crisis. Uh, the plan was to put the assets of the various banks that had become state property into a company where they would be managed and eventually sold off. Um put into that company sort of in a way to, to keep politicians from meddling, basically, from from putting into this, uh, you know, where the politicians would create a structure, mm -hmm. but po professionals would have a clear mandate to maximize and create, uh, you know, try to recoup some of the, the losses, of course, that the state uh, suffered following the banking crisis. Um, tried to get as much as possible for these assets, which has turned out okay, I guess, uh, but also to try to make sure that this was done in a fair and transparent manner. Um, you can probably have any view on whether this was the best way of going about it, but successive governments from left and right have basically uh, let this institution, this, this uh, investment organization run its course um, there wasn't necessarily, I mean, you know, people have views on whether they believe this or that executive within the company is the right person, but generally 
the principle of putting this into a separate organization so that it wouldn't be run by ministry directly, you know, where political interest would be too uh, dominating, mm. at least sounded like a good idea. Now they need to explain how this list came about. How, what was what were the criteria? Who nominated people on the list? Who was the one doing the analysis? They need to explain how they reached this conclusion, how this went the way they went. I mean, you know, the OECD has made recommendations on how to go about privatizing banks. The way this went, went against that. It also seems to have gone against the recommendations that Icelandic authorities have made themselves, given the the uh, what we have learned from the past. So there's a there's a lot of answers that we still need to get, and there's certainly a lot of demands for the heads of these institutions to roll. Mm. Um, I guess we'll see. Yeah, I guess that brings to the question of of where does the buck stop? Because the finance ministry and the minister himself, they sort of decide that the sale is going to happen. Mm -hmm. They have a big say in how it's going to happen, mm -hmm. but they're not involved directly in making it happen. That is the... Not officially, anyway. Not and, officially. And, and, that's, and, I guess that's my question. And that's, all, that's you know, without sort of, uh, you know, just generally in Iceland, this is a small country. Uh, everybody knows everybody. Everybody's related to everybody. Everybody's had a beer with everybody. Um and that and that the problem often seems to be that people quote unquote know what is expected of them uh they don't need to be told uh, i don't know if that's the case in this particular uh, uh this case but that's certainly one of the problems that you deal with in these small societies is that you have uh sort of the, this corruption of <laughs> of the small society um wouldn't be it probably wouldn't be an issue of of the same proportion or a problem of the same proportion in a larger society where you just have more people and you can more easily piss more people off probably or think, you know, you're not as afraid as, as sometimes people within institutions seem to be. Hmm. Okay. Um, unless you've got anything else to add, should we move on? Yeah, how about immigration? Yeah. Something light and funny. <laughs> In equally and, and popular. A, exactly. And another um, political story at, at yeah. its core as well. What's this bill that Jan Gunnarsson, Klubmundsson, sorry, is, is, is trying to push through? Well, I mean, it's a bill that's been going back and forth for a while. Um, it's unpopular. Um, and it comes from a ministry that has generally been considered fairly hardcore when it comes to immigration, the Ministry of Justice. Uh, they had the portfolio of immigration from A to Z that was split up during the latest uh, go government coalition talks and, uh, and the reshuffling of various ministries. So part of it is now in the Ministry of Social Affairs, although it's quite uh, difficult to understand which part of the immigration debates uh, goes where. But the uh, the infamous Udlendingastatnen, the basically the directorate of immigration, that belongs to the Ministry of Justice, and this is about how that by and large how that institution is run. Mm -hmm. um, an institution that has for a long time been criticized for being xenophobic and even uh, xenophobic and racist and unfriendly towards those that are its customers or clientele. Um, bureaucratic, slow, and basically set up to try to get people out of here. 
instead of figuring out do they have a right to be here and how do we go about doing that. It doesn't matter if you're a refugee or somebody who's married to an Icelander, it tends to be tricky, as I'm sure you know. Um, uh, this particular, um, without going into the details of the of, of the, this proposed law, it's, it's interesting that there are not a lot of proponents. Uh, everybody seems to be able to criticize it, saying it makes bad a bad system even worse. Uh, whereas the minister, who certainly belongs to a wing of the party that's more to the right and perhaps less interested in immigration, uh, says it makes things easier, it reduces bureaucracy, it should make, uh, it should basically lead to people to wait less than they have to now. It can take months, even uh, you know years, for people to get a, a decision in their cases. He says this should speed things up, make things easy. The critics say, you know, this makes the system even more inhumane. Uh, it just means that it's easier for the government to boot you out, um, come to the conclusion that you don't have the right, that you should go to Italy or Greece or wherever you came from um, immediately before mm -hmm. you find an advocate of some sort who can help you fight the system. Yeah. Um, he says, though, that it brings Iceland, it would bring Icelandic law closer into line with the other Nordic countries. In what regard is that true? Well, uh, I'm. Well, uh, I mean, it's interesting because the the uh, Scandinavia has this sort of image of being very immigration friendly, but that's um, whether you pick Norway, Sweden, or Denmark. There's been a lot of criticism of changes there in recent years. Uh, probably a too broad and 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 uh, a topic to go into in, in detail um and it's easy to say that this brings us in line with someone else that's fine is it the way we want things to be you can always find someone who you can benchmark yourself against and say you know we're just doing like xyz or we're better than xyz or whatever is the way Scandinavia is going right now in all instances the way we want to go it's interesting to compare this debate with the reaction to by normal Icelanders to Ukrainians coming to Iceland mm -hmm. uh, granted not in the tens of thousands or hundreds or even millions like in uh, on the continent but certainly between I've been one and two thousand right now is the number I that think I, that was what they were expecting to come and still are expecting to come, but I don't think we're at that level we're yet. We're not at a level no. yet. All right, but you see a, uh, you know, people are lining up to donate, to help refugees, you know, get furniture, get clothing for children, get what they need on top of what sort of the official governmental system is trying to do. Mm. Um, you also cited the survey that I want third of Icelanders have somehow donated to various campaigns to help Ukraine. Um, I think that's, and, and it's interesting to see these, this immigration bill and sort of the system clash with this sort of apparent goodwill. Hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that, uh, you know, this apparent goodwill towards Ukrainians means that Icelanders generally are all terribly interested in getting as many refugees and uh, asylum seekers and immigrants as possible. But uh, but it shows you that there is a interest in doing things humanely, kindly, with friendship and sort of uh, with heart. And mm -hmm. I think that is the biggest criticism of the immigration system here is that there is, n there is neither a heart nor a soul in there. There's only a rule book and a bureaucratic one, uh, not terribly user-friendly.
And it's interesting to compare these things. Uh, and instead of saying we're, you know, aligning it with Scandinavia, perhaps we should be asking, is it in alignment with the views of the public, the people of Iceland? How do we want this? How do we want this system to be? How do we want to welcome people or not? Uh, and whether it's done that way or not in Scandinavia um, is perhaps secondary. Mm. I wonder how much involvement or what it's possible for the government to do to to make a system act with more human emotion and feeling. Because you can't really write a rule book for that. It's... No, but it's also a question of treating people with uh, dignity and uh, kindness. You know, mm. you... There was this thing about the doctors that they were very upset about immigration rules and uh, possibly some of the checks they would have to do on applications for asylum yeah. could go against check. their own oath. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of doctors who complain about uh, dental research that's been done in Iceland to try to uh, ascertain whether a particular asylum seeker usually was uh, was of the age that that person told the authorities they were. Mm. Um Using dental research to, to try to ascertain that is, is, is uh, as far as I know, a widely discredited method. Um, but yes, I, I mean, immigration and, and especially when it comes to asylums, I and mean, when you look at you know the wars that are around us, the economic woes in many parts of the world, and the impact of uh, global warming or the climate crisis, the number of people that will be on the move in the coming years and decades is only going to increase. Um, building walls and finding ways of keeping people out is you have to question how, how realistic that is um, and you also have to question I don't know it's a question of values isn't it you know what do you stand for who do you want to be how do you want to be um, I, I, I always fail to see why immigration uh, and everything sort of associated with immigration needs to be as inhumanely bureaucratic as it is. Uh, I've covered a lot of immigration stories um, and it just, it's baffling how how bureaucratic, inhumane, inefficient the system is. And uh, I have a hard time believing that we couldn't set it up in a manner where, you know, whether we're letting everyone in or keeping everyone out, that we at least do it in a less inhumane way. On that very pertinent note uh we are out of time just a quick one uh it's easter week coming up um so thursday friday is is public holidays mm -hmm. and next monday as well a five-day weekend uh, for a lot of people at least that's great um very quickly what's what's one of your favorite things about easter in iceland uh gorging on cheap chocolate <laughs> cheap it's actually no, no. Eggs cheap, are pretty cheap, expensive. The, the, actually, uh, uh, very expensive, but not very high quality chocolate. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, and as but weird as that anyway. sounds, I agree with you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the week in Iceland. We'll be back with you in two weeks' time on Monday, the twenty fifth of April, on Ruv.is forward slash English, Ruv English on Facebook through the Ruv app and your preferred podcast platform. That just leads me to thank my guest today, Ingolf Bjarni Sefusson. Thank you. Uh, we finished today's programme with a song from last year, chosen today just because it's light and spring-like. Spring -like. Uh, this is Sistone, Raquel and Joipier with Jevar Spau. Bye for now and Gleile Pauska. Hey,
burstur en ég tek honum með oppin mörmum og einnig hugsunum um þig fyrringur kýtla mig því með þér þá vefst mér tunga milli tanna en mér er alveg sama því að þetta er eitthvað annað ég vil læra nýja hlutin með þér þeirpa stundum með þér fór nýjan litið lífið leysa þrautum með þér æ, leggjum niður bremsuna sækjum aftur berskuna rifjum upp dagana og skrifum sínal sögum Tíma, tíma, þau ekki að eiga sér stað 